Hey Rebels, are your walls boring? Well, listen up, because today's episode is being brought to you by The Gallery. It's based out of New York, and The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. You know, we're all unable to travel right now, so this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. And all prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. And right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners, that's you guys, Rebels of the Sheer Pollution, 15% off their purchase by using the code 15 off. Go to thegallery.com. That's T H E G A L R Y.com, and your walls will never be boring again. Let's head back to the show. How does my five day beard look? Do I look like Joe Finfira? You can't grow a beard. You're a voiceover bot. And that's not a beard, it's chocolate syrup. How did you know it was chocolate syrup? The label stuck to your face is a dead giveaway. Attention Rebels of the Sure Pollution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, please don't disturb the yak. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa Screening Room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room. It's me, your favorite babbling idiot, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hi, I made it. And we are here on the last day of Faces to Watch Week. And I hope that you've heard the first two episodes with Jean-Pierre Giannoli and Patrick Harney. And today we've got a guy named Joe Farah, and he's been in a lot of stuff. And he's got a really interesting career. He started out young as a fitness model, got into acting, took a little time off to raise his son, and then came back to acting and got a whole bunch more acting jobs. You know, he's good if they want him back, right? Let's take a listen to my conversation with Joe. Hello, Rebels. We are here coming to you from the conference room at the Sherpa Chalet. And my guest tonight is an actor, and he's done a lot of short films. He's done movies. He's done TV and played a whole different bunch of parts, too. And there's a couple of weird questions I have for you later on, too, that I, I got to see if my research was correct. That's His cool. name is Joe Finfara. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What we usually like to do in these shows is uh, if you could kind of let us get to know you a little bit. What, how'd you start out? I would say the, the, the way it started was my grandfather was in entertainment. And growing up, my grandfather, we'd have these get-togethers once a week. And my grandfather would bring an instrument and he... We'd have these songs and we'd sing, and, and um, he would play. He could play piano, guitar, banjo, bass, violin. Yeah, he played so many darn instruments, and so we always sang these songs. So we had kind of an artistic. I had an artistic upbringing, and my grandfather, uh, when he was younger, he came out to California and he did like an episode of Three Stooges. So he was out here, and 
and he would tell me about it. He didn't, he wasn't here very long. I think he only came out for about six months and we'd always ask him about it. And he was a singer too. So he had an opportunity to go on tour. He was asked to go on tour with Bob Hope with the, um, when Bob Hope would do the USO tours and he didn't do it because um, my grandmother was pregnant with my mother and he always had this look like, Oh man, I wish, of, you know, I was propelled by that look of regret in his face. And I think that's where you kind of, where it was started, where the foundation started was from my grandfather. And he, he was heavily into music. He still did music, even when my, you know, in the Baltimore area. And back in the day, Tex Ritter used to tour. And when Tex Ritter would come to town, he would actually play that in him. And he did some sheet music. And so he always sang. So, uh, so we had that that part, and that's where it kind of started. As I got older, I remember I still had the itch. And then um, when I finished college, uh, this girl I was dating at the time used to watch soap operas all the time. And I remember I couldn't take it, and then we ended up breaking up. And then I decided, after I finished college, I broke up, and I thought, you know what, I think I'm going to move to New York. And I, I decided to move to, uh, to New York City. And um, I moved to New York City right after college. Um, I was into fitness and stuff like that. In fact, I did a little bit of competing back in the day, too. Part of my influences were, when you're a kid, the big show was Lou Frigno, The Incredible Hawk. So I used to watch, uh, me and my, I watched Incredible Hawk, and I, always, I started working out young. And I thought, maybe if I start working out, you know, I think I was in like fifth grade, and I remember, if I start working out now, I can be like Lou. And I, that's when I got into doing that stuff. So I worked out all the time. And by the time I, I finished college, I decided I wanted to start competing. And I, I actually competed in the Mr. Maryland. And I ended up, my first time out, I got third in the Maryland. And then the following year, I ended up getting first in the short division for Mr. Maryland. And that kind of started my my quest to go out. And then I started doing fitness books and fitness modeling. But um, I had an opportunity. I moved to New York City. And I started doing things in New York, and I figured um, I would. I was really big in the fitness stuff, so I used that as a leverage to get on some shows. And so I started marketing myself with um, some of my um, fitness stuff I did. Ironically, I had a chance to go to California back in the early '90s, and I had this photo shoot, and I ended up making the cover of a calendar, and that was sold all over the country. And so that kind of gave me a good running start uh, because it gave me some PR. I ended up making the cover of this calendar. It was national and it was in malls all over the U.S. In fact, um, before I was headed to New York, I was kind of worried. I was a little bit nervous. Like, oh my gosh, am I making the right decision? I mean, you can't really make too many wrong decisions when you're young like that. But at me, at the time, I was so worried about it. But I was wondering, what am I doing? Ironically, the craziest thing, my, my parents were walking through the mall my mother, father, and my youngest brother were walking through the mall in Maryland, a place called White Marsh Mall. You know, it's a conservative area. So they look down, and my brother, my youngest brother looks, and in the, this, the window in the mall is this guy, and they look down, and he's in shape, and look down, and he sees his name, well, his last name, and he sees my name. He's like, oh, that's Joe. And they, they, my, they never told me that I, that I made the cover of this calendar. And so... Um, they came home to me, and I was like maybe two days away from leaving and moving to New York City. And I get a knock on my bedroom door. I, I opened the door, and my dad had the calendar in front of my face. And it was like the sea party. And I'm like, wow, I'm making the right decision. That was kind of like my calling card. I used that as my, my business card to get on some TV shows. And so this calendar, I shot it in California. And it was in every mall all throughout the country. I never really knew until my brother found it. 
and it kind of like set everything in pace. And whenever I, you know, when you're pushing for something, you're always kind of like, you know, I remember being there, I was always kind of like worried, am I making the right decision? But I had that made that cover of that calendar, it made me feel like I'm doing the right thing. And so that really was such a big impact for me. And I used that to get on episodes of um, One Life to Live. And um, I started getting my information to photographers that would shoot for magazines. And I started working on exercise for men, men's workout. Um, I ended up even getting an uh, ad thing. I was in an ad, um, an Esquire uh, magazine. Um, so it really just propelled me. So it was tons of fitness magazines. I ended up getting in a fitness book and um, it just pro- propelled me. Then I got to the point where I wanted to, to not just do the, the fitness stuff. I wanted to do more because when you're just promoting yourself, you, make, you don't really make as much money. So then I learned the art of um, advertising and which is kind of do a little bit of that now, a lot of that now, actually. And I end up booking a, a Nike ad and I, and I realized, wow, when I'm promoting a product other than myself, I make a hell of a lot more money. And so I end up doing a Nike ad and it was very, very well. So that's kind of where it actually started. And it, um, it was pretty, pretty lucrative for a while. I did tons of commercials. Again, fitness magazines. I did theater. I did, um, I did the soap stuff. And um, the first soap, the one I wanted to get on was Guiding Lakes. My grandmother used to watch it. it was a television. It was a radio show back in the day. And I remember, I would say I'm not a holy roller, but I'm, I'm, I grew up religious. And I remember I would pray, like I would go to St. Patrick's and pray for lines on the show. Please let them give me lines on the soap. And I would pray and pray and pray. And craziest thing is, it's, cra- it's sad, but it's, it's crazy too. But um, I was in St. Patrick's one day. And I look back and behind me, two pews was Chris Farley. And Chris Farley from Saturday Night Live was in there praying too. Yeah, and it was crazy. And I saw him in there a couple of times. And I used to see him at a fitness center called Prescriptive Fitness Center. But I remember after, after that, a couple of days later, I ended up getting my first lines on a, on a um, soap on Guiding Light. And I was just thrilled to death. So prayer does work. So I did that and, and um, I stayed pretty busy. And I was in New York City for about... Uh, about nine years doing some stuff, but not that level. I always wanted to go to California, but as I said earlier, my grandfather, you know, he was the one that kind of started the spark. But what he told me was, don't go to California until somebody calls you, until you get a call because it's too lonely. Because he had only been in California for about six months. And so to him, it was very lonely. And so I feared that. I, always, I was always scared of California. It just stuck in my mind. So I waited for a call for nine years. And I would submit myself on stuff and just try to get there any way I could. And then finally, after nine years, I ended up getting a call from a buddy. He said, hey, I'm working on a show. My fiance is working on a show. It's time for you to come out. You should come out. And I thought, wow, it was miraculous. There's a sea parting again, the second time the sea parted. And, uh, and I was like, this is what I was waiting for for nine years. I packed my bags with, within, uh, I would say, four days of being in New York City for nine years, living in the same place. I packed my bags and I left and, and I headed to California here. And, and I was lucky enough to end up doing um, three guest starring roles on, on a sitcom called Jesse on NBC, which was great. And I did, I did a part, an independent film that Schwimmer produced called Humanoid and um, did stuff like that. So uh, I did that and everything was wonderful for a while. And, and then um, all the money that from the sitcom I was working on went to Friends. 
everybody knows the Sherman Friends. Sure. And it was kind of quiet for a while. And then I ended up meeting a woman and we ended up having a child. And I had a beautiful baby boy. And then things kind of changed. And I kind of went on a long, 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 long hiatus. I would still fit new things periodically, but it was more about raising my children and um, having stability and things like that. So the real kind of story is where I am now. I took a long hiatus and my son now is in college. Um, he goes to University of the Pacific up north in Stock- the Stockton area. But after such a long hiatus, I had I've been, I was working in marketing, kind of a business job. I'm a VP of sales and marketing. Uh, I have a, co, uh, uh, a co-VP that I work with who's a writer. And for the past, I would say six years, we were egging each other on and saying, you know, we need to finish what we started. I uh, decided to and go back to finish where I started when I was younger. And, and you know, I'm happy that I, I raised my, my children and they're, they're older now, but it gave me that freedom now to finish what it started. And, and really right back in the gate after, I would say, six, a 16-year hiatus, I ended up getting a nice little uh, part on um, uh, doing an episode on uh, General Hospital where I play a guy who makes uh, phony passports. I was on cloud nine because I'm in an office for like, you know, 15 years, you know, every day still, you know, it never leaves you, you know, working in the entertainment field, it never leaves you. To be right back in it is, is like, it's a dream come true. It was really, it was so wonderful. And um, it was only an episode, but it, but that episode meant so much. And then I kept, you know, moving on to doing other things. And I did some short films. I got really lucky in, in the past, I guess it just aired about less than a year ago, about six or seven months ago, was um, I got a, a part on a Lifetime TV series called Crazy Love, where I play a high school guidance counselor. And so, I'm again, I'm on cloud nine. It's a supporting role. And I'm working on a Lifetime show. You know, again, I, I still do my uh, marketing stuff. But to go from the business thing to... Hollywood sets and stuff. It's uh, I can't tell you um, what a great feeling it is, and there's there's no ego in it at this point because it's just about finishing what you started and saying I'm going to do it, and then taking that time and saying not just saying it, but really like Nike, like just do it and believing that's still possible. And so I guess you know what what leads me now is is the my uh, buddy who were, were co-managers or co-VPs. He's a writer, and I told him I said, you know, well, you know, you're writing stuff, and he's written stuff for the Hallmark Channel. And I said, you know, the real story is our story. It's guys that are in their fifties saying, you know, we're going to finish what we started. So uh, would I think what I want to share with people out there that are that are writers or directors or film producers or or if they want to open a business and they just never did for whatever reason that it's never too late and whatever you have in there you can fill in the gap and, and, and make it happen and by just saying i'm going to do it and believing it's possible so so that's one of the big things i i think i want to share but you know one of the things i've learned from the business world is really how to treat the entertainment industry like a business and it's a different world now than it was back in the 90s so back in the 90s, we didn't have all these things like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, you know, all these other these vehicles. So there's so much stuff available and so much available for people and so much available for writers. It's just a great opportunity and, and I'm maximizing on that. And, you know, and I can take my life experiences with the experiences I had when I was younger and I'm, I'm more marketable, more castable, more castable than I was when I was younger. So, um, you know, some of the recent stuff I've done is, uh, I was just cast too. It just aired about 
I would say about three weeks ago on ID Discovery is a show called Betrayed, and it's produced by the by the producers of House of Cards. So that's a pretty well-known show. I play a detective, and again, I'm just, it was, you know, I just know when I'm driving to the set, it's like, wow, I, I'm doing what I came here to do. And it's fun because I've been pushing this stuff for 30 years. And sometimes you hear from people and they're like, what can you do? And I'm like, we're going up for 30 years and then you'll start getting stuff. But it's nice because I'm, my wheels are getting traction. They're sticking to the road. And then I know, you know, and as you get older, you know, the ingredients and the ingredients is just sticking to it and, and um, working hard, and, um, working on doing good and not just getting by, but really when you work on a script or you're working on learning something that you work on it and, and work on it to be the best, to, to really know it. And, um, take that extra step, extra leap and work extra hard. Um, and it's, that's, that's really made the, the difference for me too. You know, it's a little bit easier being, being older than when you, when I was in my twenties, cause there's so many people that look exactly like me when I was 20 something, which makes it difficult. And there's, when I was in high school, one of the coaches, he was a really inspirational coach, gave me something in high school and I still have it to this day and I look at it all the time let me grab it real quick I'm going to read it because that is what really started everything and it's been something I look at all the time and I remember it here it is so this was given to me by a high school coach he, I was his um, you know back in the day in Maryland you when you're a senior you you help out a teacher become a teacher's aide this guy was a really cool dude and, and I and I was his uh, the teacher's assistant and you can do that when you're seniors. It's probably kind of cool things. But he gave me this, and it said, and literally I followed it, and I run into him you know, years later, and I said, you know, I always look at what you gave me. I still have it from high school. So this is 1986. It's 2020. So anybody out there, when you see somebody young and you want to do, give them something, you know, don't think that they're not listening or they're not holding on to it because we are, they are. You never know. So I, I know I have to paid this forward so i tried to but this thing it says think positive if you think you're beaten you are if you dare not you don't success begins with your own will it's all in your state of mind life's battles are not always won by those who are stronger or faster sooner or later the person who wins is the person who thinks he can so i literally in all walks of my life i've kept that so whatever i've been working on i i know you don't always have to be the best person but you have to believe that that you're good enough and that you can still do it and that's it just think thinking positive so the key is think positive and, and i've kept that it's 1986 and it's in my office and i look at it all the time so um that's my thing so i i've been i've been i've been very blessed and fortunate but i'm capitalizing on on those things as well. So now, your first TV program that you were in was an MTV show called "You Wrote It, You Watch yes, It." Yes, it, it was. It was the coolest thing, and it was a show called "You Wrote It, You Watch It." It was produced by MTV back in the very, very beginning. Um, yeah, and um, it was hosted by John Stewart. And I actually, if you go to my, if you go to YouTube and just type in Joe from Fair YouTube or Joe from Fair, you would watch it. You'll see that episode with John Stewart on it. Back in the day, we looked so darn young, and people would send in these skits, and then we would act them out, and we could improv, we could do stuff like that. It was great. So uh, I worked. I think I did about four episodes of the show, and it was on for about a year or so, a year, year and a half, and it was MTV back in the day. Yes, that was really cool, really darn cool. But yes, I have it on YouTube. If you if you check it out, you can see it. Yeah, you must be a busy man because I see on your IMDb page you have. 
like five projects that are still waiting to come out. We've got uh, the 13th round. 13th round is from yeah, Peter Bollinger. 13th round's a cool film. I play a doctor, which that's, this is about, this is a true story. He's, it's about a boxer. He lost his kidney and he was boxing with one kidney and then that kidney went bad. And then his brother donating his kidney to him. And he was a, uh, a, a, a boxer and he went and, didn't quit boxing even with his donated kidney and so the film was about that he, he ended up getting his he ended up getting his, his first pro fight with one kidney that was donated by his brother and it's a great story and i play the doctor who removes his, his kidney and does the transplant stuff so it's uh it's not out yet we're you know how things are. You can do projects in Hollywood that still, but that's the premise of it. So that's really a cool story. And the, the real guy was working on the film with me on that. So it's a really cool, cool story. So and you see, and you, which which other ones are you looking at too? What, Suicide by Cop. Suicide okay, by so Cop. Suicide yeah. by Cop. That should be hitting. And the cool thing about that is that actually stars Vernon Wells, and Vernon Wells is the Mohawk guy from Mad Max with Mel Gibson. And he's starring in this movie called Suicide by Cop. And I, I have an awesome scene with him in this. That should be hitting Amazon or so within the next year or so. So let's let's keep our you know keep our fingers crossed on that. So that's cool. It's also okay. from the same producers of um, the Thirteenth Round. So yeah, you see Alienated on there too. Alienated. That was going to be my next one. Yeah. Be, well, that we probably would have had the uh, the premiere for that, but that. That should be hitting relatively soon. In fact, I probably need to give them a call and see when that's going to air. But that's pretty cool because that was written and produced by a fellow by the name of Daryl Anka. And Daryl Anka, he channels somebody named Bouchard. So if you ever look up, look up Daryl Anka and Bouchard. This guy is world-renowned as a channeler. And I know somebody, and he's doing this alien-type show, this alien film. And I watch his stuff, and he's got millions of followers. And he channels is 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 the cha- he channels somebody named Bashard. It's the coolest thing in the world. So he's done a lot of different stuff. So that that should be coming out. And that you can um, I guess follow that on. I'll, I'll probably post something when that that's going to air. But but you can look up Daryl Anka A N K A who channels Bashard on YouTube. Cool. That guy's really interesting cat. So you'll learn some interesting stuff. If you're into that, okay. I'm really into that um, pot, like the, that raw, connected, positive energy. I believe in what goes around, comes around. And, and I never got into, let's say, tidying. But then I realized, this young man did, and I realized how there's a flow. And I really think our world was created with these laws, like a science. Like, like you always said, everything's mathematics. I think things were put in place years ago to make everything evolve and work. And, and whenever you give, give away or give, give, to give um, it comes back to you. And so I've been doing that for years and I'm telling you, it's changed my life. But when you, when you give, it comes back. And so um, I'm really into that vibe thing. And I'm also into being positive as possible. I know in my life when um, I was through times where I didn't feel so positive that I, I almost shut off anything from happening, whether it's a hocus pocus or you're just walking around and people can feel your energy and you just don't, you know, you're not giving off good vibes. But I do know that that is not a way that we should be. 
And so no matter what you're doing, try to have a paradigm shift and, and keep yourself as positive as possible. And, and I know that's hard because our mind is the hardest thing to fight. But always look and try to find something that's positive and look towards the good and something that bad. And anybody that really knows me, they'll, they'll tell you, I always try to find, I mean, there's moments where I get irritated. and But in order for me to come off that ladder, I try to find a positive in it. And so that's what I recommend to people. So yeah, but that guy does is that kind of person. So I, I was really excited to work with him. And he had no idea that I, I knew him. And I didn't say anything until I was done filming. And then I said, you know, I'm a fan. And he couldn't believe it that I was a fan. <laughs> Could you also tell me about Shadowboxer? It should be hitting soon. It's also by the same fellow. Um, his name's, I'll give you guys names. His name's Peter Bollinger, B-O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. That is going to be a guy to look out for. I can't really get into it too much, but it's got, it's, it's another boxing type thing. It's a true type story and it's immense. And I'm hoping that will end up coming out in, in 221 as well. I play another doctor. Peter likes to hire me as a doctor, which is interesting. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm usually, which I'm happy about because I don't always want to play the mob guy. So if you're going to ask me to play a doctor, I'm thrilled. You know, I even contacted uh, General Hospital and said, hey, you like to play a doctor too. You want to play a doctor too? I don't have to play a mob guy only. So Peter Bollinger, he's written, um, I don't know, well, he, he wrote a book or helped publish a book called um, uh, Black, The Black, Black Klansman. It was purchased and it was turned into a feature film. So Peter Bollinger, he's a brilliant man. And the crazy thing is I auditioned for a film um, for a film called Blue Lives Matter. He, uh, I auditioned for that when I, I had to do a, a monologue for this. And I actually did a monologue that was... Um, called I Never Sang for My Father by Gene Hackman. And who does who does a monologue by Gene Hackman? Nobody but an older guy. He's 51. There's anybody older when they're like, Gene Hackman, whoa! Yes, you know, nobody's doing Gene Hackman. But he's he had a film called I Never Sang for My Father. And it's such a great movie If um, when you're older. If you have um, older parents, it, I suggest anybody watch it. It could be on, it may be on Netflix or find a way to rent it. But I Never Sang for My Father, Gene Hackman. But he did a monologue for him i did the monologue and we looked at each other as if we knew each other and he's he's put me in probably four of his films since then we're like really good buddies we're like old padres he's about four years older than me and he's he's a retired police officer and so he's like me where we're like he's got this passion and he's producing films and he's doing a great job and he's getting these people in in, in these films and he's getting some He's getting noticed, and he's got big people who have purchased his ideas that won Academy Awards. So let me tell you, uh, Peter Bollinger is the guy, guy to watch. But so I was blessed, and sometimes it's one of those things when you, you meet somebody and you think, wow, I think I know you, but we've never met before, but we developed a great friendship, and he keeps putting me in his film. So I'm, I'm absolutely grateful. In fact, I did one film for him, which is on Amazon right now, and it's called uh, The Opiate Diaries. It, the Opiate Diaries, is, it's a film. It's almost a little bit documentary style, too, but it is a film. And it really gets into the opioid addiction and the epidemic that's going on in America today. And uh, such a, a important meeting there where it could help somebody. It could help somebody young and where they make a different choice 
to maybe not take like Vicodin for pain and do something else. Um, and just realize, and it goes and talks about how dangerous it really is to even get started, even if you hurt yourself. Just be really careful. So I recommend um, young kids, high school, later high school years, to young adults or anybody watching that to, to really understand how dangerous um, the opioid epidemic is. And you could just be a regular old Joe and it could happen to you. And, and so that's how dangerous it is. So even, you know, and, and it gets into that. So I'm really proud of that and the message. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and the old thing is, is if I can help one person. So my thing is if I can help three people, if I can change three people, change their lives, then I've done something. But that film could, could potentially save, uh, change a lot of lives if they see it and understand how dangerous opioids can be. And I played the opioid, I played the opioid doctor. Again, I play doctor again, but that's on Amazon right now. So, but, but watch that if you know anybody that has ever had an opioid addiction. But, you know, it really affects us. They say wherever you work, there's someone in there that probably has an opioid addiction. You don't know about it. There's a neighbor, family member. We all have somebody that's close to us that is addicted to opioids. It is such a huge epidemic. And so that's, that's something I'm glad to be a part of that could probably change somebody and make a difference. I'd want to encourage the listeners to check you out in something that you did a couple of years ago called Things Buried. And it's, yes. you can see Please it on, do that. It's, yes. you know, on YouTube, yes. And it's only like, a, like about 13 minutes long, but it is an intense drama. <laughs> and Joe is, well, I don't want to give too much away because it's a short movie, but Joe is a guy whose past kind of catches up with him and you see how he reacts to it and it gets really intense. Thank you. I, I'm very proud of that short. It's a short film. I'm proud of it. I love it. I'm glad you watched it. Thank you. Yeah, that's on, that is on um, YouTube. Just type in Joe Finfera, Things Buried, and the whole, the whole short's in there. You know, uh, hit budget for bigger films. And sometimes you never know who's doing that short film. I did a short film with a fella who ended up, who also just wrote a Matthew McConaughey movie that Matthew McConaughey starred in. So you never know who's working on a short film. So yeah, I'm glad you saw that. Things Buried, watch that. I also did another short film that I'm really proud of too. Um, it was last year. It was called Unspoken. Look up Joe Finfair and Unspoken. It's I play a kind of a world champion boxer who's you know older and retired, and I have a son, and I have some health conditions, and it's I have a son who wants to kind of do what I was doing, and it gets into that, and it's about the love of a, a father and son. In fact, the, the the young man who produced this and wrote it contacted me, and you know I I being back into the entertainment industry really hard like I am now. I, I'm a little bit more choosy what I do. So this young man contacted me and, and uh, he's like, I want to try to win an award. And he wrote this. And it's about fathers and sons. And, you know, and I have a young son too. My son's 18. So I'm really into the relationships between fathers and sons and, and how important that is. So the movie on this short film also called Unspoken. It's about fathers and sons. And I encourage um, people to go and on my YouTube channel and watch that. I'll just type in Joe from Farrah, Unspoken. And believe me, it's so important because the biggest thing I'm proud of is being a father and not just being a father, but being a present father. And so I encourage everybody out there that uh, if you ever are a product of divorce, you do a great job and work on co-parenting and, um, and make sure that you give your children everything they can to be good citizens when they, when they grow up and, and be a present father. You don't let make any other father look bad. Remember, fathers were on the spotlight. You can't 
You know, you have to do your job. You're just, you know, just because you're a father doesn't mean you're a father. A father is somebody that's that's present. I'm so happy that that I'm a present father, and I encourage everybody else out to to do that well. And this movie, the short film, gets into uh, father and son relationships. So I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the young man who wrote that. And I think it won some awards. It won some awards in um, I think Louisiana won an award, and it should for the screenplay. So we were really we were pushing for that. So I always like young people that are working on films that are trying to get an award because that's that's true staying power. So. We have a portion of the show, and it's called Totally Random Questions, otherwise known as the TRQ. So Joe, are you ready for the TRQ? I am ready for the TRQ. Totally, totally, totally random questions. Totally, totally, totally random questions. As we were just uh, listening to you, you've played doctors and cops and mobsters and boxers. Do you prefer heroes or villains? I prefer both. I love both. I love just being somebody different than myself. I, but it's got to be extreme. I think you can still be a hero and a villain. So I think sometimes they're almost hand in hand. And so you can be a, a villain that's really a hero. So I find that those really are, are can be one in the same, that you, you're a villain and a hero. So I like, I like both. I really do. Um, and I like, crazy enough, I like comedy too i do sometimes i get scripts and i'm like eh. but then there's times where i know it's like right for me and and it's like i love when i find something that's like right for me but i prefer both but i guess if i had to pick one it would be the villain i always wondered like for the actors that play villains do you like go home saying like i got all that aggression out so i'm, I'm like nice and relaxed for the rest of the day especially like if they're very evil that's just Good point. I'll tell you what I do. Sometimes I'm going throughout my day and something irritates the hell out of me. And I'm an Italian guy. You're Italian. So we're Italian. Our, our emotions are in our, on our sleeves. And you can tell how we're feeling. And so sometimes when I get really angry about something and it's like, it's, it's so organic. I just think, God, if I just can recall this, I'm going to get an Academy Award because I am so angry that I hope I can use this, but sometimes, yes. But um, sometimes it's hard to bring that that thing, but but I, I try to always use something that really made me angry and bring it back, and I think, and that I always turn it into a blessing versus a curse. <laughs> In a lot of your movies, I've noticed, you must be the king of the five-day beard. <laughs> ah. So what's the secret to keeping a good beard like that? It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. You know what? Thank you for asking me that question. That's a really good question. So, okay, so I, I work, you know, I, I'm an actor's actor. I'm call, I'm what they call a, uh, we call it a blue-collar actor. So I do work on shows that, that could do well, but I also work on independent projects too. So when you're working on like an independent project, continuity is not always something that some of the younger filmmakers really pay attention to. And so I think it's it's part of the actor's job to pay attention to continuity. Sometimes you can't help it because you can work on something and you're filming it. Look, it's the same day, but they're filming that a month later, two months later. So Here's the deal. I know my numbers. I know my numbers. It's like a number for cutting my hair. So when I get my hair cut, right before everything, I go and get my hair cut to the, like, I, like number two, like four on the side, 
X amount up top, so I know all my numbers. And then with my beard, I know the numbers too. I'm trying, I've been doing a lot more cop stuff, so I've been trimming it a lot lower. But if I work on something, I know the, the beard, the number on my trimmer. So I make sure that I continue to use it. So if it is the same day, I know what it is. So I work on the continuity. And, and I appreciate you noticing that because that's an actor's job too to work on his own continuity, not just with his clothing, but with how he looks, haircut, everything. Because to me, the worst thing in the world is you do something and it's the same day and your hair is like an inch longer. <laughs> come on, come on. You, got, you can't, I, I think when there's a, a you can't have, you gotta work on no, no weak links. You gotta make sure everything works. It's gonna be, everything's gonna be right. Okay. So thank you for noticing. No that. problem. Now, be, now, being half Italian, what goes on your pizza and what doesn't go on your pizza? Or do you just like regular pizza? Well, that's another good question. I can just deal with just plain old cheese and I'm good with that. Uh, but then, I, I do like pepperoni too. But if I were to go, and when I just go for a pizza, what am I going to pick 98% of the time? Just plain old cheese. Just plain old cheese. Okay. And I'm in heaven. The best pizza in the world is Chicago pizza. You ever had pizza in Chicago? The thick pizza in Chicago? Oh my gosh. It, it's, it's notorious. It's the best pizza in the world. Chicago's pizza. A Chicago pizza. Have that one day. It's insane but just cheese is the answer to your question and you lived in manhattan so you probably had your share of manhattan pizza as well i i did i did i lived on 23rd street lexington avenue for almost nine years you were a, a stand-in for jason patrick in the movie sleepers whoa you saw that that's <laughs> great good for you that's way back thank you for seeing that too god you know what i i'm gonna applaud you for doing your homework thank you very much so so i i tell you that was the coolest thing so back in the very beginning back in 92 or what year was that what year the hell 96, was that? i think it was 96 was that movie really i had an opportunity to uh to be like a uh, the double for jason patrick in a movie called sleepers you know as as actors i had an opportunity to work, and to work on a big budget film so i never i i took the normally i didn't want to do that type of stuff so i did it once and i did it to be jason patrick's double and stand in for uh for the movie sleepers it was actually um done by barry lavinson which is a baltimore guy so i figured i'm the ball i'm in, i'm at home there it's great, and I can see what a fifty. Back then, it was fifty million dollars, which was the biggest thing. Fifty million dollars was a lot. Now everything's one hundred and fifty million. But I thought that's my opportunity to really work in a big budget film, and I, I was there every single day, and because Jason Patrick was in every single scene, and the the cast I worked with was. It, it was crazy. Most actors, there's even famous actors that in between acting jobs, they do almost anything to survive. I, I, I had a really good friend that was, I would say, movie star, that, and she, she would clean houses in between jobs. And then she'd star in a big film, and then she'd go to clean houses. Uh, so I was doing jobs like that, too, to survive then. And so one day, and I remember my grandmother never wanted me to do certain like jobs. And I remember one day I was like, Graham, I prayed. I was like, Grandma, if you don't want me to do this, get me out of here. You know, and, uh, and I, I realized I need to start praying more because sometimes you get what you ask for. But within one day, this is the craziest thing. I was doing something I really want to do. It's one day they brought me and they said, hey, would you mind wanting to work on this thing for a couple months? You could be Jason Patrick's. If they want you or they hire you, you could be Jason Patrick's double for the whole film. And you'll be employed for like, you know, 
a month and a half or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So uh, they go in and you, when you get hired, you don't just get hired. You literally have to go on this, we went on this like soundstage and they had me standing there, Jason Patrick. Then there's me, Jason Patrick. Then there was me, Driver. Then there was her, whoever person was going to be her, like double or whatever. Then there's this other fella, blonde dude, and I'll tell you who he is. This blonde dude, kind of tall, and he had his person. So we're all like standing there for this movie Sleepers. And so then, back then, I quit smoking when my son was born, but back then I smoked. I went outside to grab a smoke because there's, before they kind of bring you on, you just kind of have this like, kind of like a meeting to make sure everything everything matches up and whatever, because there's a lot to do with these big films. And I was outside smoking a cigarette, and now I noticed this kid, he was, I call him a kid because I found out he's four years older than me, I think. And he was a little taller than me. I'm outside, I'm smoking a cigarette and some guy, and I said, I said, dude, back then, some dude walked over to me and he said, hey, I'm Brad, how you doing? And it was Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there smoking. I'm like smoking a cigarette with Brad Pitt. He walked over and said, hey, I'm Brad. And he do some stuff to me. So it was the coolest damn thing. And I ended up working on Sleepers, and it was, yeah, Brad Pitt was in there, uh, Mini Driver, God, the list goes, Billy Crudup, De Niro, Dustin Hoffman. So, uh, and, and it was, I remember one day, it was, um, I was feeling kind of sorry for myself because, you know, m- none of my family was in New York, and it was my birthday. And I was doing, we were doing this courtroom scene, and I'm in there, and when you, when you it, it, it was treated very well, but all around me, I'm looking, I was feeling sorry for myself. And to my right was Dustin Hoffman. To my left was De Niro. Right in front of me was Mini Driver, Billy Crudup, uh, Jason Patrick, Brad Pitt, all in this like room. And I thought, wow, wait a minute. What a great gift that is to be around this, this talent. And, and so that was a cool thing. And I got a chance to, to work with these people and to see how they, they actually operate. So for me, it was a great lesson that I was paid to do to work on a big, huge budget motion picture, um, to work with Barry Levinson. I talked with Barry because I said, hey, I'm from Baltimore. He did a movie called Diner, which was, which was created right where I grew up, the same county. And I talked to him about that. It was so funny. So Barry and I developed, you know, we talked all the time. And in fact, there was a scene that De Niro was doing. Right after De Niro was done, he turned to me and goes, he goes, isn't he just amazing? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's De Niro. Isn't that why you hired him? He's, he's the best. What are, you, what are you amazed about? He is the best. So he was just so amazed with De Niro's work. I just thought, well, that's what he, he's supposed to be amazing, right? So I was, anyway. So it was, it was cool. So working on Sleepers was a really cool, cool thing. In fact, I think Dustin Hoffman and De Niro, that was the first thing they ever worked on together. But um, Dustin Hoffman every day would come to the set and he'd bring a newspaper and he would talk about current events. And such a great man. All these people, the whole cast, they're they all awesome. But, but Dustin Hoffman was the coolest. But he would come and bring and talk about different things that were going on in society. He always had something to talk about. So I really learned a lot from, from Dustin. He, he was somebody that just didn't walk on set and not say anything. He had things to talk about in those current events. He was such a great guy. Before we wrap it up, I, you've been giving a lot of really good pointers, and we'll have you do one more little public service. So when you were doing Fitness Model, you were in the complete book of abs? Was that true? Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> so you had a six-pack way back yeah, then? book of abs, that's true. I did have a six-pack then, yes. <laughs> What's your best advice for people who want to keep it nice and trim? I mean, you're still looking good and trim it. 
so many years later, too. I am. It's, yeah, you become, you're, you're, I'm addicted to uh, work, working out. I still try to, but yeah, there's a book called the, the Complete Book of Abs. It sold in Barnes & Noble, all of the United States. It was selling up until maybe probably four years ago. It sold well over 25, 26, 27 years. Um, this the book sold. In fact, you know, I would have good friends and I would, I would go to pe- people's homes and I would see the book that was there, you know, the book I was in that was there. Uh, I was always proud, really proud of, of that book because um, it, 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 sold, it did sell a lot. And it was in, of course, Barnes & Noble uh, for the longest time. But my answer to your question <laughs> is, it's, uh, you know, when it comes to working out or dieting, my dog's got a little squeaky toy. So when it comes to working out and dieting, to me, and I, you know, because I've been doing it for so many years, is it's it's really majority of it's diet, watching what you eat. Everything's a science. I think I was talking about karma earlier, but but even what what you eat is a science. And so the, the, to me, I'm kind of the old school thing. I, I don't think you should go too crazy, but. You know, watching, um, what I do is I, I watch my carbohydrate intake. I have to have my carbohydrates for breakfast. I have oatmeal still today, oatmeal, and then I have egg whites for breakfast. And then and then for lunch, I'll have like a baked potato and then veggies and then chicken, meat, I stick with that. And then for dinner, I stay away from starchy carbohydrates. And I still do it. Every once in a while, I cheat. I think areas you cheat are a little bit of wine. That's cheating. But I try to, to, to stick to it all the time. And sometimes people say, just have one chip or have one thing. And I'm like, no, because once I have one, there's an addiction that takes place where you can't stop. So I'd rather just say no and not, and not have any. And, and I've stuck to that. Since I was in my, my 20s, and I still, I'm still in good shape. It's kind of a weird phenomenon, but for some reason, mentally, I still eat like as if, because my buddies and I that have done fitness stuff or fitness modeling, we always, there's a term that, you know, we're going to eat as if we're X amount of days out from a shoot. So I used to always say, well, I'm, you know, I'm three weeks out, and I'm 51, and I still like, I'm like, well, I, I eat as if I'm like three weeks out from being on a, on a you know, a, like a, a fitness magazine photo shoot or if I got to do whatever. So, so I eat as if I'm three weeks out and it's, you know, you don't want to go too crazy and you have to have a cheat day, but for the most part, it's, it's something that I do every day, you know, religiously. I don't, you know, everybody in my family knows that don't give me bread. I'm not going to eat bread. Don't give me rice. I'm going to have rice maybe for, you know, a little bit for lunch, but it's not going to be something I'm going to have for dinner. I try to watch it to this day. So it's something that I still do now. And it's kind of the whole package because it, it makes me feel good. And if I do cheat, I feel so guilty that I don't, I'm not really, my brain doesn't let me cheat. You know, I did, uh, my last calendar I did was in 2016. So I was, I think I was like 36 years old, so, you know. So it was 2016. How many years ago was that? It wasn't that long ago. Four years ago. And um, 2006. Oh. 2006. Oh. So this is my last calendar. So I was the oldest guy by 14 years ago. 2006 was my last calendar. So I did in my late 30s. I was able to do a calendar. So uh, but I'm still watching it. Yeah, that's it. I'm um, watching your, your cars. Uh, are there any other projects coming up that we have to keep our eye out for for you that we haven't talked yeah, about? Yeah, there's some of the things. Well, again, it's, you know, there'll be a diaries on Amazon. Watch that. One of the shows I, I, I'm proud of and I like is the a TV show called Betrayed. That's actually on Amazon as well. Uh, it, it really aired on ID Discovery about 
three weeks ago, but you can look at, I'm in episode, I think four, and it's called, um, it's uh, Betrayed. So you can watch that. That's uh, on Amazon now. And then I got something coming out, which, I, which is really cool. And we've, I think there's what the, the production company is one more day of filming, but it's something to look, be on a lookout for. It's called Cholo Zombies. And it's about a zombie epidemic, kind of like the epidemic we have now. It's crazy because I started filming this thing. It's called Show Zombies about seven, eight, way well before the epidemic happened. And I play a reporter and I'm doing this reporting. And it's so weird that what's going on now, because this is what it's so weird, very serendipity that I'm talking about. I play a, a reporter and my, my, my reporter name is uh, Wolf Cooper. I married uh, Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper. And I said to myself, that was my reporter name. And I talk about this uh, total zombie epidemic. That's going to be really exciting to watch. And I think that's being pitched to a couple of people to make it into a series as well. But that we have, the film is pretty much done. There's like one day of filming yet to do. And then it's going to be hitting it'll be 2020. You know, it should hit this year or very beginning of 2021. But it's it's a cool little comedy, and be on the lookout for that because that that'll be pretty darn fun to see. And that's also by the P- Peter Bollinger, who's that guy to look out for. But but yeah, that's something to look out. For. He's everywhere, <laughs> so we will keep He's an everywhere. eye open for him. Yeah, Joe yeah. Farrah, thank you so much for coming on down to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Joe Finfera for coming on down to the Sherpa Chalet for the interview. Keep an eye open for his work and all of the work of the other guests that we've had this week. You know, you can follow this show on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by just looking up one word. And that one word, Sherpolution. You knew that, right? Yes. And if you're not listening to this show on your favorite podcast app, what's the name of the website that you can take a look at? Sherpolution.com, of course. And then you can hear every episode from the beginning right up till now. And in the future, even when I've stopped recording, the shows will just keep coming. I don't know how that's going to happen. I'm just babbling away. So (laughs) next week, we will be back with Too Many Podcasts and my friend Jared, who hosts Starve the Doubts. And I was lucky enough to be on Jared's show. And he returned the favor by coming on my show. And we had a blast talking to each other and about our shows. So make sure you check it out and spread the word, okay? Maybe share this episode on social media with some of your friends and leave a nice review for me on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. That would be really nice. Now, let's turn it over to a guy who's got a 12-pack of Fosters. Mr. Bruce, if you don't mind, if you could please show everyone the door. No, I know they don't probably drink Fosters in Australia. I think that's just a... It's Australian for beer, mate. I know that doesn't really happen. Okay, Mr. Bruce, anyway, you know you know the drill. Hey, bye everybody. Viva la Sherpa Lucian. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Lu Studios production. Viva la Sherpa Lucian.